Hey, this is Josh Gwizdowski. I write the script and do the voice of Moses for this podcast. I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of everyone who works on Tribulation. We put a lot of work into these episodes, and it's always good to know that someone's listening. So thank you. And if you really do like what we're doing here at Tribulation, we'd like to ask you to subscribe and share it. And please, please rate it on iTunes. This may not seem that big of a deal, but it really does make a big difference for us. Also, I'd like to let you know we're doing something a little special at the end of the credits from now on. So please, listen to the very end. Thank you again, and enjoy the episode. Frank is gone. I can't believe he's gone. The high behind's got him. God, I really wish I knew if they were carnivores or not. I can't really see them taking people other than to eat them. Or spirit forbid, maybe they turn them into hide-behinds. Just thinking about it makes my stomach turn. No, no, I mustn't give up hope. We will find him, and we will find the other missing rangers. Even if we have to fight every hide-behind and Argapelter in this forest, we will make this right. Although, I really hope we don't have to do that. I don't want to completely destroy the ecological balance of this area. Every living creature is important in the eyes of the spirit, for every living creature is part of the great spirit. It's not time to discuss the philosophical and moral implications of destroying an ecosystem, though. A man is missing, and lives are on the line. I was being hyperbolic anyway. We wouldn't actually have to destroy every single hide-behind or argopelter. Most likely. After the hide-behinds ambushed us, we ran for about a half a mile till we found a clearing. I'm surprised they didn't catch more of us in that time, but we're all pretty fleet of foot. Kendra grew up living in the wilderness, so she can navigate the forest pretty easily. Charlie's fast, agile, and has a strange love for running and jumping. Lydia's military background means she keeps herself in shape. Duke is probably the least athletic, although very muscular. In fact, he might have just been too bulky for the hide-behinds to take, because he's so big. Oh, and myself? Well, I am a doctor, so I know how important cardio is. I go for runs all the time. I guess Frank was the slowest of us. He was certainly in shape, though. Perhaps he was just unlucky enough to stumble on a branch or a small ditch. It was starting to grow dark when we were ambushed. When we entered the clearing, the hide-behinds didn't follow us in. They surrounded us, though. We couldn't see them except for a flash of movement here and there and the occasional pair of glowing eyes, but we could hear them shifting around behind the trees, waiting for us to leave the safety of the open area. It truly must be against their nature to leave the cover of the forest. They outnumbered us, and they're clearly very fast, but they just refused to enter and leave the cover of trees. True to their name, they really need something to hide behind. It's quite a fascinating trait, actually. So we set up camp for the night. The others are already sleeping. I offered to take the first watch. I just have to keep the fire going. When we first lit it, it seemed that the hide-behinds drew back a bit. They must find the light discomforting. They are nocturnal beings, after all, so perhaps their eyes struggle to adjust to focus bright light. Frank said they almost never attack in the day, so it would make sense. That's my hypothesis, at least. I'm not about to test it. This isn't a controlled experiment, after all. Lives are at stake. They may be more willing to return and leave their cover and enter the clearing if only one of us is awake and the fire is out. Okay, it's been a few hours since I've last recorded and I have not heard a peep from the forest or seen any glowing eyes. I fed the fire as much as I had to and everyone seems to be sleeping silently. 
Well, I say silently, but we certainly have a few snores in the group. I should make sure none of them have sleep apnea. That can actually lead to some serious medical issues later in life. Actually, I should find out all of their medical histories. I mean, I'm the team doctor after all. It'll be easier to take care of them if I know about any previous medical problems that they had. I know most of Charlie since she grew up in Jim Thorpe. My mother's clinic was where everyone went when they needed a doctor. If I recall right, Charlie has always been a bit of a hypochondriac. Nothing too crazy. Just wears gloves a lot because she's scared of germs. Doesn't like blood. That sort of thing. I'm a little surprised she became a runner with that sort of thinking, but no judgment here, and if anything, I'm proud of her. Lydia I know a bit about as well because of treating her after she brought in all those refugees from Boston. At the time, she was unhealthy, but only because she was starving out in the winter with all those people. She's clearly someone who takes care of herself. All of her medical issues are psychological. She has PTSD and definitely self-medicates with alcohol, but that is something I am not getting into right now. Duke has come in to me for a checkup once or twice. He has a slightly high blood pressure and needs to eat more greens and do more cardio. It's actually fairly normal for someone his age and size. Strength training isn't everything, though, and he needs to learn that. Kendra has never willingly came to me for medical treatment. We nursed her back to health after they found her starving in the woods, but once she was well, she avoided coming to the clinic for checkups or treatment. I have a feeling she just doesn't like going to the doctor, or maybe it's because she didn't know what a doctor was until she moved to Jim Thorpe. Hey, Moses. Oh, I didn't realize you were awake. Yeah. And I didn't realize you were trying to steal my watch. You should have woken me up like an hour ago. Oh, I just wanted to let everyone rest a little longer. I don't mind. Yeah, well, you need rest too. I appreciate the gesture, but you're not a goddamn superhero. Plus, I need you to be on point. If we get attacked again, we're going to need the doctor to be sharp. Don't want any of us getting killed over a goddamn lack of sleep. So stop recording and go to bed. (sighs) Okay, Lydia, you're right. Just let me say a quick prayer and I'll go to sleep. Fine. Get it over with. May the Spirit bless and protect us on our journey. May it guide us to our destination. May it keep Lydia's eyes near sharp as she watches the night and protects our camp from harm. Amen or whatever. Now go the fuck to sleep. The new day has begun. And what day is that? It's the 16th of September. The year is 58 AF and the sun is shining. We made it through the night. Soon we'll continue... Wait, what? Who is that? I don't know, but I've got him in my sights. I, I think you can put that away. It's, it's just Jonathan. Ugh, that idiot who claims to have seen a naked woman and jaguars in the middle of a forest? Yes, and hey, don't call him an idiot. Not only is he the chief ranger's younger brother, but he's a human being. Hi, Moses. I was worried that maybe I'd find an empty camp. How did you find us at all? I'm a ranger. It was easy enough to track you. Maybe if there was only one of you and and that one of you was Frank, you could have hidden your tracks, but that's not the case. Well, we aren't really trying to hide, I guess. But how did you catch up to us? We must have had a half a day's head start. Like I said, I'm a ranger. I know these woods well. I'm traveling light and alone. Look, I know people say I'm an idiot, but... You don't become a ranger by sitting on your ass, even if, you, if your big brother is the chief ranger. You have to work for it. Doesn't mean you aren't stupid. Why'd you follow us anyway? I thought I could help. I was in one of the patrols that a ranger went missing, and I remember where I saw that strange woman. And the jaguars. I really saw them, I swear! 
Whether he saw them or not doesn't really matter. We could use his skills. He knows the forest and he could help us find Frank. Wait, why do you have to find Frank? I thought he was with you. Last night he was taken by hide-behinds. What? I can't believe this. He's one of the best rangers that's ever been in the field. He wouldn't travel at night and hide behind his territory. It's the reason I caught up to you guys this morning rather than last night. I didn't want to get snatched. We weren't traveling at night. It was starting to get dark, but it was still daylight. And they attacked the whole group of you in the daylight? They don't usually mess with groups larger than two or three people. This isn't good. They're getting more aggressive. Rick was right. Something strange is happening to our home. Which is why we need your help. We need to find out what's going on and fast. We don't know how much more time Frank has. We need to find him as soon as possible. Are you in? Of course. I came to help and I'll follow through. Fine. He can come with us. As long as he doesn't talk about jaguars or anything else that's stupid. After ending a short argument between Jonathan and Lydia about how jaguars could have escaped a zoo during the fall and mated, we packed our things and now we're heading out. Our agenda is to go to the locations the rangers were scouting at when they went missing, to see if we can pick up their scent, so to speak. Perhaps, if we can track them to wherever they were taken, we can find Frank as well and put a stop to whatever is causing these odd disappearances. That's the hope, at least. With Charlie's maps and Jonathan's knowledge of the forest, I believe we can make it to these locations without much issue. I better go get my things together. We need to move fast. Who knows how much time Frank has? Or the other rangers if they're still alive. Okay, we've made it to the first location where a scout has gone missing, and there's really no sign of them. It is on the edge of hide-behind territory, but Rick says that the scouts go through these areas all the time unharmed. They're trained to know how to avoid the hide-behinds. That's how Jonathan survived the night on his own. Still, they seem more aggressive than the rangers are used to. All I've managed to find while scouting was some herbs I could use for medicinal purposes. I have a garden back home where I grow this kind of thing, but obviously I don't have access to it now. I did stock up pretty well before I left, but it never hurts to have extra. There are herbs that are tough to plant, actually, as well. Certain wildflowers and weeds that are hard to farm, and most people don't want in their gardens anyway. Medicinal mushrooms and fungi can be the hardest thing to farm because it isn't actually a plant, so foraging can be especially useful to finding those things. It can be hard to reproduce the environment that these fungi are found in, and even if you do, that's no promise that the spores will spread and grow there. I've tried. Several times. With little success. And producing the kind of medicine they've had from before the fall is even more difficult. But certainly not impossible. At least we don't have to start from scratch. We have all the knowledge and information from before, but the resources and technology is limited. Still, there are ways of combining modern medicine with that of the ancient medicine man. So, it isn't too much of an issue. Moses, stop playing with yourself and get moving. We have a lot of ground to cover. I, I wasn't playing with myself. I was just recording, and, you know, it's okay to mess... Ah. Okay, Kendra, fine, let's go. We've arrived at the next location. There's so much ground to cover because we only have a general area of where these rangers went missing when they were scouting. And the only reason we know that they were here at all is because they were with scouting parties. The second location is once again on the edge of hide-behind territory, so that leads credence to the theory that the hide-behinds are taking them. But why? This isn't their normal hunting pattern. Hopefully we'll find something to lead us on this trail. Thank the spirit. Kendra found something. It's a footprint, and not just any footprint. Jonathan confirmed that it's a hide-behind print. 
Kendra spotted a pair of boot prints, most likely the missing rangers, and nearby she found a long, skinny footprint. Well, it wasn't a footprint. It was a paw print that looked like it was combined with a footprint, a little longer than a human foot, but skinnier and with a big toe missing. The imprint indicated it was padded like a dog's paw, and probably clawed as well. This definitely makes me think that the hide-behinds probably eat what they snatch. Jonathan said we were lucky to find this. If there had been a heavy rain since the last disappearance, it would have been washed away in a second. I'm just happy that Kendra had the skill and instinct to see it. She's a natural tracker. If she'd been born to the rangers, she'd probably become a skilled scout herself. Probably not Chief Ranger, though. I don't know if she has the right, uh, temperament to run an entire campment. Although she could probably run at least a troop. Mostly because they'd be too scared to disobey her. So this at least confirms our theory that the hide-behinds are taking the rangers. But we still don't know why. They don't usually prey on humans, and when they do, it's when they're alone. These rangers were mostly part of scouting troops, according to the reports. They were separated for a moment and then suddenly disappeared. But they all disappeared during daylight, which is why it was assumed not to be hide-behinds. Because they are nocturnal and avoid the light like the plague. Are they desperate? Maybe they're starving. Perhaps there's a disease that is making them behave abnormally. That doesn't explain why other animals are behaving weird like the Argopelters. There isn't a disease that can cross that many species. It's like the whole forest is sick. But that's just not possible. Not scientifically, anyway. We're going to continue our search, though. Perhaps we'll find more clues to what's going on here. So we've made it to the third location that the rangers reported a disappearance. This one isn't on the edge of hide-behind territory, but directly inside of it. Luckily, it's high noon, so there shouldn't be any issues with them, but we're on high alert just in case. There's not much to report otherwise. The forest seems quiet and nothing has attacked us. Perhaps a little too quiet. I'll record if I should find something interesting. For now, the hunt is on. Well, it seems we've stumbled onto something quite interesting indeed. A group of orchids growing beneath a tree. Now, this may seem pretty uninteresting, and that's the thing I believed at first as well. But Kendra pointed it out, and I thought it was just a bunch of flowers. I was completely wrong. It wasn't until she said there was something odd about them that I realized why. I believe her exact words were, They don't match. They don't belong here. She was right. I could be wrong, and I've taken a sketch of the flowers to confirm my suspicions when I get home, but this particular flower should not be growing here. Orchids usually grow in warm, humid climates, but on the off chance that these somehow did manage to grow in a temperate forest, there's something else about them. These orchids are not only in the wrong climate, but the wrong continent. They're Queensblade orchid, also known as... Catlea. It's a genus native to South America. They're from a tropical rainforest, not the middle of northeastern Appalachia. I'd say the likelihood of them being here is extremely low. Maybe you'd find them in a flower shop or a grocery store before the fall, but that was nearly 60 years ago. Finding them here now is astounding. In fact, it's a scientific gold mine. I should remove one of the specimens and study it further. I wonder if there's any genetic changes that allow it to survive in this climate. I'll just take one flower. There's more than a few, so it shouldn't hurt. Let me just dig it out here. <clears throat> that should do it. Uh, oh, oh my. Great spirit. 
that's interesting. It, it's wilting right before my eyes. The vibrant purple petals are becoming a dusky mauve edged with black and gray. The stem is drooping. The, the leaves are curling up. Never have I seen such an immediate reaction when unpotting a plant. As I'm recording this, the plant is nothing more than a shriveled husk in my hands. There's something quite strange about this. The other plants are fine. Let me see what happens if I just remove a few of their petals. Astounding! The, the, they're wilting at the same pace. I remove a petal from the plant, and in mere seconds, it is completely dead. It seems there may be some magical force keeping these plants alive that is connected to the forest. If you try to remove it, it becomes disconnected with the magical energy. That would be my hypothesis, anyway. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of experience with magic, so I can't say for sure. But I guess every scientist has to start somewhere. The question is, whatever is keeping these organs alive, why did it make these plants in the first place? Why the f in a forest that's here already? Why something that normally grows thousands of miles away? Eureka! Great spirit! I've got it! I've got it! What is it, Moses? I heard you yell. Is something attacking? Tell me where to point my gun and I'll end its miserable life. No, I found a scientific connection. These orchids are being kept alive magically. It's a breed of orchid called Catlea. There's almost a hundred species in the genus, I, I think. They vary from... Please spare me the details. You're right. Time is of the essence. Anyway, this plant can only be found in South America, but it's growing here and its life is being supported by magic. And... What else lives in South America, but we recently heard has been prowling in the countryside? Alright, you're gonna have to not play the guessing game on this one. I don't see where you're going with this. The Jaguars! Jonathan was right! Or at least I believe he is. I mean, the two both being from South America is a correlation which of course doesn't always imply causation, but I don't believe I'm making a leap in logic here. You've gotta be fucking kidding me. You, you can't be serious. Well, I'm extremely serious. I never joke about science. Well, I guess that's not totally true. I know a few nerdy jokes. What's the difference between an ion and- Moses! Focus. We need to gather the others and have Jonathan lead us to where he spotted the... Jaguars last. It sounds ludicrous to me, and I hate to admit it, but you may be on the right track here. So let's go. Jonathan is leading us to where he saw the woman in the Jaguars. It's strange. At first he was excited someone believed him, but when he realized the implications of what was going on, his face grew dark and sullen. We have to save Frank. No matter what, he said. And he's been quiet and stoic ever since. Where we are going is deep and hide behind territory, farther up the base of some of the mountain this forest covers. We've been mostly hiking alongside the mountain range, but now we have to go uphill. The deeper we get, the more eerie the forest becomes. I've noticed that animal life has begun to distance itself from us. I no longer hear the twittering of birds or spot the occasional deer grazing in the distance. All I can hear is the sound of our feet, and all I see is the trees and undisturbed underbrush. Lydia has her gun loaded and cocked the whole time we've been searching. It's a little dangerous if you ask me, but she claims that she doesn't want to be caught off guard by the hide-behinds if they attack again. 
Charlie is wringing her bat between her hands, and if she does it too much, she might ruin the gloves she so often wears. Kendra has actually been running ahead and scouting for any more strange tracks or other foreign species of flowers. Duke is silent as a wall, but his hand has been on the hilt of his mace for quite some time. Jonathan has taken on the role of the stoic ranger that Frank once filled while leading us deeper into the woods. Everyone is tense, as if they fear the forest attacking us. We've been hiking for an hour or two, and Kendra recently returned from a short scouting expedition with some hopeful news. She saw more flowers that didn't match the forest. We're going to follow these ecologically foreign invaders to see where they lead us. Oh, spirit, now this is interesting. We found more of the flowers that Kendra has spotted. I don't know the genus of these flowers, but they certainly seem foreign, and when I pulled one out, it wilted just like the others. We decided to follow the path where they seem to grow. An old hunting trail, or maybe it was made by some local wildlife. It doesn't matter. We followed this path, spotting more of the flowers along the way, and here's the thing. As we follow the path, the plant light continues to grow more and more exotic. We've noticed vines covering the trees that don't belong. More and more species of flora that, from what I can surmise, are meant to grow in hot and humid climates, including the catalea we found earlier. It's as if the woods are turning into a tropical forest. It's very surreal and, quite honestly, scientifically fascinating. I'm going to stop for recording for a bit, though. I, I want to just check these things out. Okay. We've done a bit of walking since I last recorded, and I really need to make a note of what has happened. We found a cave. The rainforest plants are the most concentrated around this area, and I believe that whatever is changing the woods lies within this cave. The rest of my cohorts seem to believe this as well, and we only have one choice. We have to go in. So we're arming ourselves and preparing to enter. We have flashlights and torches in one hand, and our weapons in the other. Jonathan is going to watch the entrance so he can warn us if there's any danger. I'm going to stop recording for a bit, as the cave will most likely echo, and I don't want to give away our position in case there is something waiting to ambush us inside. Well, it was smart of us to assume we'd be ambushed, because we were. We were attacked in the cave by strange wooden men. I remember Nick mentioning something about them when we spoke. There were rumors about men made of trees that the scouts were calling the Wood Warriors. Rick cast it aside as hearsay and nonsense, but it seems he was wrong. There were maybe five of these things, literally made up of logs and branches. They were vaguely humanoid, but they resembled men in the way a child stick figure drawing resembles a human. I was worried when the fight began. We were in a tunnel with low light and tight corners, but Duke was in the front and he had already had his mace out. He easily broke the first attacking wood creature in his splinters. Charlie quickly came up, sliding under Duke and knocking the legs out from another one, which Duke quickly beheaded, if it was truly even a head. Lydia and Kendra blew holes in another one with their guns, but it only slowed the creature down. It didn't seem to actually kill it. Then one approached me, and I swung my staff at it, and I honestly believe I got lucky, knocking its head part completely off. It wobbled a bit and fell forward. Duke and Charlie were able to easily finish off the few that were left, and there were no more than a few scrapes and splinters after that. When I looked down at the scattered remains of our enemies, it was as if we had fought with someone's pile of firewood. There was no sign that these were once warriors. They must have been some sort of magical construct. Not true living creatures like an ant, but rather some wooden golem, golems, simply given enough power to stand guard and attack. 
I wonder if I could somehow create my own construct to protect my lab at home. If only I knew more about magic. I'm going off topic, and I haven't even gotten to the weirdest part yet. After we defeated these wood golem warrior things, we moved further into the tunnel. A few minutes of walking and it opened up into a large chamber. There was a small opening at the top of the chamber that let some light in, but not much. This illuminated enough that we could make out five figures hanging on the wall, held up by vines that weaved around their limbs. It was the missing rangers, and lying on the ground in front of them was the unconscious and bound Frank. Then we saw three figures standing near the captured rangers. They were tall, lanky, and covered head to toe in dark fur. They had hands with opposable thumbs, but they were also clawed and covered in hair. They bared sharp dog-tooth grins, and their eyes were cat-like, glinting in the dark. These must have been the hide-behinds. As we entered the chamber, the light from our torches and the flashlights cast upon them, and they cowered in fear of it. One let out a soft growl as it backed away from us. Then from the shadows, she emerged. A beautiful woman. Her skin was a soft chestnut color and completely bare. She wore absolutely no clothing. Both her hair and her eyes were vibrant dark green. The green of the forest. As she moved, I watched as flowers and plants sprouted up around her feet and leaves would fall from her wild, wavy hair. Beside her prowled the two jaguars, eyeing us ready to pounce if their master gave them the order. It was at that moment I realized we had entered the dwelling of a literal goddess. Perhaps she was a minor deity, but she certainly had more power than us. Lydia aimed her gun at the goddess and the jaguars growled. I shook my head and put my hand on the barrel of her rifle and she lowered it. I stepped forward and said, I am Moses Shepard. My comrades and I wish you no harm. And then the woman spoke. Why have you come here, human? She asked. Her voice sounded like the rustle of leaves and the running water of a stream. I, I can't explain it. Why have you come to my forest? To rescue our friends, I told her, pointing to the unconscious rangers. Your friends? She laughed in disdain. You mean the poachers who hunt the animals and cut down the trees of my forest? Those are your friends, Moses Shepherd. If you took a closer look at these people, you would know they respect your forest, that they only take what they need. They only hunt as your jaguars may hunt a rabbit, because they need to survive. They love the forest, I explained. Perhaps what you say is true, but the humans south of here, they tunnel, burn the mountain. There is an eternal fire there. They do not respect the forest. They have no love for the trees. They take and do not give back. So I will take these men. Her voice had grown angry now. I could hear the roar of a lion in it and the crash of a waterfall. I had to calm her down before she unleashed what power she had upon us. If you're referring to Jim Thorpe, which I believe you may be, I think you're mistaken. We have no eternal fire. It is true we burn coal, but only what we need to keep the town running. We've learned from the mistake of our ancestors the harm of excess. An eternal fire, that sounds more like Centralia, to the west of our town. It is owned by demons who care not for nature, but only for power. I explained to her. She still appeared angry, but her eyes narrowed at me warily. 
I will see if what you say is true. But if you are lying to me, I will kill you and your friends to protect my forest. She said this, and suddenly her eyes rolled into the back of her head, and she gasped. She stood like that for a minute, silently, until she gasped again, and her eyes returned to normal. I have looked, and it seems what you say holds truth to it. You have not lied to me, and your friends shall be spared. Return from whence you came, and warn them that if they do not respect the forest, they will feel its wrath. I will, I assured her. But can I ask, how did this become your forest? It seems like you were from a different one, far from here. She sighed. That place is gone now. This place had no protector, and I had no home. So now I am here. Now go and heed my warning. What should I call you when I warn the rangers of your protection? I asked. Her expression changed from anger to slight amusement. Yes, you humans did once have a word for me, when you respected the woods. But that name has passed. My true name can only be heard when the wind passes through the trees, or when a wolf howls in the night. My true name cannot be said in this unnatural tongue. Now go, human, I grow weary of you. And in a burst of white light, she disappeared, as did the jaguars. The hide-behinds were gone as well, although I think they ran to wherever they hide when it is daylight. Memo to myself. I really have to find some books on the occult. I'm starting to feel a bit out of my depth here. I mean, great spirit, a forest deity? I didn't see that one coming. Luckily, we found the rangers that were being held hostage alive and well. They weren't starving or dehydrated. They were in some sort of stasis-like state. I can only assume this was created by the goddess's power. After a few minutes, they were all awake although a bit groggy and weak. We are heading back to the ranger headquarters as soon as we know they're going to be able to travel safely. Until then, I'm going to stop recording. It's really important to keep an eye on the ranger's health. Who knows what kind of after effects that kind of magic would have on them. It's uh, 17th of September, and the year is 58 AF. And boy, do I believe I'm a bit hungover. After we found the hostages last night, we made a beeline for the main encampment. We weren't attacked by an argopelter or hide-behinds or any other wild enemy on our way, so I guess the deity we met really is going to leave the rangers alone. Still, though, we didn't think we'd make it back to the camp before dark, but then we ran into a group of scouts on the way. When they saw us with the missing rangers, they rushed back to camp, blowing their hunting horns, and returned to us with horses and fresh supplies. We were able to get back to camp in half the time it would have taken us, and when we got there, there was a celebration waiting for us. Now, from what I understand, the ragers are modest. They don't often throw feasts or the like, but they certainly know how to cook, and they definitely know how to drink. We sat with Rick, who asked us all about our journey, and he reminisced about the old times when he was still a scout. He gave his brother a hearty slap of congratulations, since we wouldn't have found the cave without his help. Frank kept bringing us beer after beer as thanks for saving him, which is why I find myself in this sorry state. We're leaving now, though, and I'm thankful that I will not be driving since my head is pounding. In fact, the only one who doesn't seem hungover is Lydia, but I think that's because she's still drunk. Either way, I hope to sleep it off on the ride home. I can't wait to tell Kyle about all this. 
He won't believe I got to meet a goddess. He thinks that's the kind of only thing that can happen in Woolby. I mean, honestly, I did too. Maybe when I tell my mom, she'll understand why I decided to become a runner instead of taking over the clinic. She was never for it in the first place. Well, I better finish packing. I doubt there'll be anything else interesting to record today. Oh, oh man. I feel so much better after sleeping. I think we should be getting close to home soon. Depends on how long I was out. I had the weirdest dream, too. That's, That's why I'm recording this. I wanted to make sure I remembered. Hey, hey, Moses, are you up? Yeah, Lydia, why? What's up? Um, well, I, I don't know how to say this, but... What is it? You sound pretty uh, upset. You, you better just go check it out for yourself. Climb up to the gun and you'll, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. Is, is that smoke? What's going on? Is that... Oh, spirit... Oh, no. No, my home. My mom. Kyle. Oh, gods. Oh, gods. Jim Thorpe is burning. Tribulation was written by Michael Suspaniak and Joshua Gwizdowski. The script was edited by Samantha Paris. The Tribulation logo was designed by Christian Lally. It is based on a tabletop role-playing game played by Michael Suspaniak, Samantha Paris, Kelly Doherty, Don Friedrich, Kimmy Hibbs, and Joshua Gwizdowski. The music from the intro is by Floating Spirits, and the music in the credits is by James Joshua Otto. Both can be found on freemusicarchive.org. The voice of Moses Shepard is Joshua Gwizdowski. The voice of Lydia Rodriguez is Samantha Paris. The voice of Kendra is Kimmy Hibbs. The voice of Ranger Jonathan is Grant Gwizdowski. And the voice of the credits is Samantha Paris. Please subscribe to our podcast to stay tuned for the next episode of Moses' Adventure, which will be released on August 1st. If you enjoy what we do here, please rate us on iTunes and let people know about us by sharing on social media like Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening. Now here's today's Mosesism. A neutron walked into the bar and got a drink. When he asked the bartender how much it cost, the bartender said... For you, no charge.